I'm Tracy Sable. Tonight on EWTN News Nightly, War in the Middle East. President Joe Biden is in Israel as the conflict shows signs of intensifying. Drawing the line. U.S. lawmakers push for new sanctions on Iran. We're on Capitol Hill. Like a little brother, Pope Francis examines the life of a soldier turned saint in France. And never too young. Children in the Philippines become rosary warriors. We'll explain. These stories and more tonight. From EWTN, the Global Catholic Network, this is EWTN News Nightly. With us on the Feast of St. Luke the Evangelist, our top story tonight, tensions are on the rise in the Middle East and beyond as the Israeli-Hamas war rages on and the humanitarian crisis in Gaza grows deeper. Protests are adding fuel to the fire. From Cairo to Tokyo, protesters chanted anti-Israel and anti-U.S. slogans with one demonstration in Beirut turning violent. The anger follows an explosion at a hospital in Gaza in which Hamas claims nearly 500 people were killed. Israel denies any involvement. And President Joe Biden believes it was terrorists who blew up that hospital in Gaza, not Israel. And he says he bases his conclusion on the data from the U.S. Defense Department. The president was in Israel today reaffirming support for America's top Mideast ally. White House correspondent Owen Jensen reports. Owen? Tracy, while in Tel Aviv today, President Joe Biden emphasized the U.S. has Israel's back as it defends itself. He also told Israelis, quote, you are not alone. As the war between Israel and Hamas intensifies, President Joe Biden sits down with Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. I want to say to the people of Israel, their courage, their commitment, their bravery is, uh, is stunning. There's only one thing better than having a true friend like you standing with Israel, and that is having you standing in Israel. President Biden also expressing both sorrow and anger following the hospital explosion in Gaza. I was deeply saddened and outraged by the uh, explosion at the hospital in Gaza yesterday. And based on what I've seen, it appears as though it was done by the other team, not, not you. The explosion canceled the summit. President Biden was set to attend in Jordan with other leaders. We have uh, 7,000 first responders. Today, President Biden met with Israeli first responders and the families of those who were killed, wounded, or taken hostage by Hamas. And he joined Prime Minister Netanyahu at a meeting with Israel's war cabinet. This will be a different kind of war because Hamas is a different kind of enemy. While Israel seeks to minimize civilian casualties, Hamas seeks to maximize civilian casualties. President Biden says Israel has agreed to allow humanitarian assistance to begin flowing into Gaza from Egypt. The World Food Program saying people are at the risk of starvation. And before he flew back to the United States, President Biden with this warning to anyone thinking about attacking Israel. Don't. 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 Now, regarding that humanitarian aid going into Gaza, President Biden warned Hamas against diverting or stealing the assistance. The president also announced $100 million in new U.S. funding for humanitarian assistance in both Gaza and the West Bank. At the White House, Owen Jensen, EWTN News Nightly. While the president pledged aid getting into Gaza may be a problem, the U.S. vetoed a United Nations Security Council resolution calling for humanitarian pauses to deliver supplies. U.S. Ambassador to the U.N. explained why. 
Colleagues, the United States is disappointed this resolution made no mention of Israel's rights of self-defense. Like every nation in the world, Israel has the inherent right of self-defense as reflected in Article 51 of the UN Charter. Ambassador Thomas Greenfield added the U.S. would continue to work closely with other council members to address the humanitarian crisis. Following the attack by Hamas on Israel, U.S. lawmakers from both parties are pressuring President Biden to punish one of the terror group's financial backers, Iran. The administration announced that it is temporarily freezing more than $6 billion in Iranian assets that has been released as part of a recent hostage swap. However, some lawmakers think that does not go far enough. Capitol Hill correspondent Eric Rosales explains. Eric. Good evening, Tracy. You know, last weekend's violence by Iranian allied Hamas is fueling new calls for the U.S. to choke off billions in revenue from the regime, including its oil exports. Lawmakers tell me that the Biden administration continues to make Tehran richer at the expense of oil production and allowing them to sell their petroleum to our adversaries. Iran is selling a billion dollars worth of oil every week to China. Under Joe Biden, uh, Iran's coffers have grown from $6 billion to $60 billion. The Biden administration has allowed Iran to re-enter world commerce with its oil and build up tens of billions of dollars in foreign currency reserves that it's now using to deliver this mayhem in Israel today, but around the world soon. Florida Congressman Mike Waltz tells me he supports sanctioning Iran oil sales and canceling a $7 billion line of credit from the International Monetary Fund. All of those things shut off the funding uh, and you will then starve these terrorist groups of resources because they are 100 percent funded, trained, resourced and supported and controlled by the Iranian regime. Senator Kevin Kramer tells me one of the ways to do that is to get the G7 nations to coordinate their response. Imagine if all of them collectively were putting primary and secondary sanctions on not on Iran and then anybody that does business with Iran. You could have immediate major impact. That takes big leadership, and we're lacking leadership right now in this country. Others agree. We have to reestablish deterrence against the Iranian regime it not only directly threatens America's interests in a peaceful and stable Middle East, but also bears the blood of hundreds of Americans and plots to kill even more. Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina, who is vying for the GOP presidential nomination, is pushing legislation to reauthorize the Iran sanctions of 1996, which are set to expire in three years. Now, this would allow the president to impose sanctions on Iran that restrains the regime's ability to fund operations that could endanger U.S. military forces. Tracy? Well, Eric, um, over on the House side, what's the latest on Republican attempts to elect a speaker? Oh, that is a whole nother issue. Well, after more than two weeks, Republicans are still looking for someone who can get 217 votes. That's what they hope Jim, uh, Congressman uh, J uh, Jim Jordan was able to get, but he failed for a second time. He didn't get enough votes. He actually lost ground today. 22 Republicans voted against him compared to 20 yesterday. Congressman Jordan said that no other votes will take place today. Meanwhile, calls are increasing to expand the powers of Speaker Pro Tem, Congressman Patrick McHenry, so that he, he can actually start passing bills in the House. Now, that's going to mean Democrats will have to provide some support.
Tracy. Okay, thank you, Eric. Well, amid the potential of Israeli and Hamas war protests, security in and around the U.S. Capitol has been heightened. The office of the sergeant at arms ordered the installation of a fence around the U.S. Capitol. This afternoon, over a thousand peace protesters with Jewish Voice for Peace gathered inside a House office building where some were arrested when they refused to leave. Earlier this week, a similar event took place in front of the White House. And joining us now is Laura Reese, director of the Heritage Foundation's Border Security and Immigration Center and former acting deputy chief of staff at the Department of Homeland Security. Laura, good to be with you today. Thanks for coming on. A lot to talk about. But first, I want to talk about the security measures uh, in place at the Capitol and the overall concerns here in the U.S. regarding possible violence carried out by supporters of Hamas or other terrorist organizations. What can you tell us? Well, the protests are uh, expanding and becoming more frequent. Uh, this afternoon, there are uh, a lot of protesters in and around the Capitol for, uh, that support Hamas, support Palestine. Uh, and they're being led by a speech uh, by Congresswoman uh, Talib. So um, th this is just going to continue, and it is making security in the U.S. more difficult. And we have to look at our open border and what the Biden administration has done to our country in allowing millions of illegal aliens from all over the world across our border. And uh, when Hamas leaders are calling for strikes on Israel against Israelis and against America, uh, we are at a precarious time right now, and our leaders need to start acting like it. Yeah, I want to jump off that and kind of focus on the border. I was going to go there next anyway and talk about there were some apprehensions uh, at the U.S. southern border uh, with four Iranians being uh, apprehended just a few days ago. And those, I believe, were actually on the terror watch list. Let's talk about that and the threats there. Right. So in the past couple of weeks, CBP, just in the past, the first two weeks of October, CBP has reported Iranians uh, that they've encountered uh, that are on the terror watch list. And um, also, we have to be concerned with the over 1.6 million known gotaways that have come into the U.S. before the Israel attack. Uh, and in the first two weeks in October, CBP has reported over a thousand gotaways per day. So that's another 360,000 in a year if we keep at this pace. And it's that group that is declining a free ticket, airline ticket, anywhere in the U.S. that they want to go. And, Laura, how vulnerable, vulnerable that is, do you think we are here in the U.S., you know, to another terrorist attack? And do you think we've left our guard down since 9-11? Absolutely. We are back in a pre-9-11 posture. Uh, we have opened our, our borders wide open, and foreign nationals from over 160 countries have come through that border while Biden has been in office. We've absolutely let our guard down, and the leaders of Congress need to get their act together and prioritize Americans right now and keeping this country safe. Yeah, we've also been hearing a lot about these so-called lone wolf attacks. Uh, what more can you tell us about that? And are those particular types um, you know, of attacks, are they harder to track and prevent? 
Well, when the administration is talking about lone wolf attacks, they are largely talking about domestic violent extremism. And that is where the Biden administration has been prioritizing FBI resources, DHS resources. But really, it's about their political opponents, uh, people who oppose the Biden administration or question uh, the political narrative that the left provides. What their number one priority should be is continued foreign terrorist threats that we've experienced in 9-11, we've experienced in, during other terrorist attacks, and that's what we're facing right now. Yeah, Laura, I want to ask you this. I mean, what can we do as everyday citizens after 9-11? We remember that campaign, the See Something, Say Something campaign. Uh, but what about us? What can we do to protect ourselves in light of all this? Well, Americans need to contact their members of Congress and uh, state and local representatives and say no more, that the administration needs to shut down both of our borders to find the terrorist threats who are now inside the country, arrest them, uh, and keep them either detained or deport them. And Americans, yes, need to be vigilant for large, con large congregations of people um, and any violence that breaks out and to be prepared for uh, any dangerous activity and to be prepared for losing perhaps um, infrastructure, portions of the infrastructure for, for days at a time. Laura, this is a really concerning time. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us and for your insights. We appreciate it. Thank you. And we have a lot more still to come here on EWTN News Nightly, including Eye on the Holy Land, one way you can make a difference by helping those affected by the war in the Middle East. My next guest will tell you how. And an exclusive interview with Archbishop Anthony Fisher of Australia, where he discusses some of the hot-button issues facing the church. The Israel-Gaza border suffered immense devastation at the hands of Hamas during and after the terror attacks earlier this month. Now residents, neighbors and volunteers are trying to pick up the pieces and slowly rebuild. In that effort, one of the biggest Christian tourism groups in Israel is launching a fundraising campaign for those battered areas. And joining me now to discuss this fundraising effort is Scott Phillips, the executive director of Passages, which brings thousands of Christians closer to Christ each year through encounters in the Holy Land. Scott, thanks so much for coming on today and for your time. We appreciate it. So tell us about what's happening on the ground uh, from your friends and your contacts in Israel. How are they doing? I mean, it has been such a traumatic time. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me on. Um, really, this is unprecedented in Israel's history. And uh, October 7th, uh, last Saturday, was uh, the deadliest day for the for the Jewish community since the Holocaust. And so, you know, Israel's a small country and uh, everyone is impacted in some way, whether it be on that day where over almost 1,500 Israelis were killed, uh, murdered, um, uh, or if it's, you know, reservists or uh, soldiers that they know uh, going into, you know, defend the country right now. So uh, Israel's a small country. And so our friends are definitely impacted. It's, it's a very, very somber time in Israel. At the same time, Israelis are coming together uh, really um, like never before and are united and uh, are finding uh, the good in this for sure. Yeah. And as we said, you know, trying to pick up the pieces and rebuild it. So what about that? What about the rebuilding efforts? Uh, this really has to be a challenge, I would assume, in the midst of the war right now. It really is. And I think uh, a lot of the focus is on getting immediate needs uh, to those families that were affected. 
uh, you know, the, the families of the hostages, almost 200 hostages uh, taken into Gaza, uh, those who are, are no longer able to live in their homes. They're not even allowed to go into their communities. They're closed military zones. Um, you know, those who uh, have needs, the families of those uh, who were murdered on that day. Um, and of course, uh, you know, all of the soldiers and reservists and a lot of needs there. Um, so, so I think that the, the immediate uh, focus right now is on is on immediate needs, and I think uh, rebuilding is definitely going to be on on the radar as soon as uh, as soon as a little time passes. Yeah, talk to us about your fundraiser, um, and also, you know, what's the goal here? How much are you looking to raise? Sure. So uh, Passages uh, looked uh, to engage both our alumni. We've taken over 11,000 Christian college students and high school students to Israel, um, really to uh, engage all those who are interested, not just our alumni, interested in giving uh, to specific communities and the needs in those communities um, uh, right there that were impacted the most. And so uh, our War Relief Fund is going directly to families, going directly to these communities through our relationships. Our students have actually visited these communities in times of peace. Um, and so it's a very personal thing for Passages, uh, and these are our friends. And so we're just looking uh, to to raise these funds for these immediate needs and uh, ultimately the rebuilding of their communities. Yes, yeah, Scott, can you give us kind of an example of what the immediate needs are? Where would your money go to? Sure. A lot of this goes uh, toward uh, a lot of these uh, families are displaced. They can't live in their homes. They have to live in alternative housing. So it goes toward that. Um, it goes toward, uh, obviously, mental health care. Um, it goes toward uh, basic necessities. Uh, they're out of work. Uh, so therefore, they're not necessarily earning uh, money or as much as they would. Um, and so, you know, a lot of this uh, temporary housing, uh, these types of things, um, uh, you know, arrangements for, you know, loved ones that have passed away. So it's it's all of sort of these basic needs when a tragedy like this happens. We're almost out of time, but quickly, um, I know folks want to get information on how they can help. So how can they do that? Sure. Thank you. It's, uh, you just go to passagesisrael.org and a pop-up will show up right there on the screen and enable you to, to give. All right. Wonderful. Scott, thank you so much for coming on and for all that you do. God bless. Thank you. God bless. Up next on EWTN News Nightly, from soldier to saint, Pope Francis has an example of what happens when we put Christ at the center of our lives. Plus, how children in the Philippines responded to a global call for prayers. Citadality is set to consider the final parts of the Global Gathering's working document. At the same time, participants are also sharing their own experiences as part of the daily briefings. EWTN Vatican News correspondent Colin Flynn has more. A new identity. It's the third week of the Synod at the Vatican, and they've begun work on the final phase of this year's Synod. The gathering today opened with an emotional appeal from Dominican Father Timothy Radcliffe. But we are called to embrace a deeper sense of who we are as the improbable friends of the Lord, whose scandalous friendship reaches across every boundary. Many of us wept when we heard of that young woman who committed suicide because she was bisexual and did not feel welcomed in the church. 
I wept. I hope it changed us. The Holy Father remind us all are welcome. Yet this is just one moment of many focused on the hot-button issues facing the Church. It's true, there's been four... Archbishop Anthony Fisher from Sydney, Australia, spoke exclusively to EWTN News, saying that he thinks too much time has been spent on these issues, when really the focus should be on bringing people back to the faith. There's been a big long discussion about the ordination of women. Uh, And there's a lot of tension and and emotion around an issue like that. Um, For Archbishop Fisher, however, the big issue is something else. The big issue for the church today, particularly in the cultures I know, the the Western world, where we've got the rise of the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, not N-U-N-S, the the ones that say they have no faith. When, When there's a census, they write no religion, just tick the no religion box. And that's going up and up and up, particularly amongst young people. We're looking at, in many populations now, half the young people are saying that they have no religion, mm-hmm. even more. In the end, so much more, more serious than tinkering at the edges about whether no, 0.001% of women might be deaconesses or lady women deacons. It's trivial compared to the huge loss of faith that we have happening particularly in whole generations at the moment. So just a couple of things. The Um, Archbishop's feelings were echoed by fellow Australian and Senate participant Professor Rene Kohler-Rhein. She spoke at the Senate press conference yesterday. She said the issue of female priesthood is a niche issue that does not reflect the needs of women today. As a woman, I'm not focused at all on the fact that I'm not a priest. I think that there's too much emphasis placed on this question. And what happens when we place too much emphasis on this question is that we forget about what women, for the most part, need throughout the world. This week, Pope Francis also spoke directly about the Synod in an interview with Spanish TV. He talked about how the church must move forward. The church has to change. Let's think of the ways it has changed since the council until now, and the way it must continue changing its ways, and the way to propose an unchanging truth. And it has to keep changing along the way, as challenges are met. That is why the core of change is fundamentally pastoral, without recanting the essence of the church. Is the relation. This week, participants are also working on the Synod's final report for this session. Cardinal Jean-Claude Hollerich, who was appointed by Pope Francis to guide the Synod's discussion as Relator General, gave some initial insights on what to expect after that. The end of this first session of this ordinary General Assembly of the Synod of Bishops coincides with the beginning of an equally important phase of the process, the time between the two sessions, which will see us committed to returning to the churches from which we come, the fruits of our work. At the Synod in Rome, Colm Flynn, EWTN News Nightly. Pope Francis says that we can follow the example of a former soldier in France who made Jesus the center of his life and became a saint. 
e chiese di essere persone semplici. At his weekly talk at the Vatican, the Holy Father discussed the life of St. Charles de Foucault, born in 1858. The Frenchman left the military and made both Jesus and serving the poor the passions of his life. Pope Francis says that it is an example of someone more focused on Jesus than on himself. He adds that St. Charles tried to be like a younger brother of our Lord. Well, finally tonight, church leaders in the Philippines are asking for prayers to help bring peace to the Middle East, and a group of school children decided to act on that request. The children gathered at a cathedral in Manila to pray the rosary. It was part of a global initiative called One Million Children Pray the Rosary for Peace and Unity. According to Aid to the Church in Need, which led the initiative, yesterday in the Philippines, more than 119,000 children prayed the rosary. That is so beautiful. And we thank you for watching tonight. Remember, you can follow us on social media, Facebook, X, and Instagram at EWTN News Nightly. I'm Tracy Sable. Good night and God bless.